thankful for the presence of each one that is here this morning. It's an encouragement and encouraged by uh, our worship time together so far this morning. Life Between the Trees, Brian texted me this morning because he was going to be lead, leading singing. He says, what's the title of your lesson? So I text that back to him, and he sent me another message that said, summarize. <laughs> <laughs> and so I sent him Genesis and Revelation, and then he kind of said, oh, and, and put, the, put the points together and said, I understand. And so we will talk a little bit about that tree in the garden from Gen the early part of Genesis. And then we'll mention that tree in Revelation. It is in Genesis 2 that God tells man that he's not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then it's in Revelation 22 where God's word says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right. Some translation says, as James read this morning, Blessed are those who keep his commandments. Some translations say, blessed are those who wash their robes. Same idea. So that they might have the right to the tree of life. It's in Genesis, there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In Revelation, what is spoken of is the tree of life and those who have right to it. Now then, this lesson though, I want to make this perfectly clear, is really based upon the events of this past week and the tragedy that took place down in Florida. And as I thought about that, and as I watched the news, and I watched the response, um, that was what was really motivation for what we're going to talk about this morning. Before we get started, let me ask you this, though. <laughs> Illustration, right? You can remember you've either had these at your own, in your own life <laughs> or you have bought this for a child. You know those coloring books that you open them up and there's, there's no real clear picture there, but there's dots <laughs> with numbers, and you take and you connect the dots. And then once you connect the dots, you can see the picture, right? So that's essentially what I want to do this morning. Just simply take God's word and let's connect the dots. And let's take a look at what it reveals. And let's take a look at the picture and see what we see and what we ought to see collectively. But obviously as a society, we're seeing it differently. I'm going to start this morning by saying... There's chaos in society. <laughs> we all see that, don't we? <laughs> Here's three things that I heard at school this week. One of the first things that I heard and what really spawned this was there's been a mass shooting at a high school in Florida. I work at a high school. <laughs> the following day, one of the students said to me during third block, do you feel safe at school? By the time we got to Friday, different morning announcements, okay? <laughs> we now have audio and video, so it's not just listening to them over the intercom. We can watch this on a PowerPoint or on a video presentation. And there's a teacher that's a female that's roughly my age, and she's announcing that she's going to retire. 
But she goes on and says, you know, for the last 40 years, I've identified <laughs> as a high school Spanish teacher. I'm now going to retire. I'm not real sure how this is going to go. Can you connect the dots? First, there's tragedy in Florida. Tragedy. Secondly, do you feel safe? There's fear. Thirdly, I don't know how this is going to go. Confusion. Tragedy, fear, confusion. Is that a picture of our society? <laughs> I think it is. And that's what I thought about as I heard those things this week. Tragedy and fear and confusion. You know, I was watching the news, and there was a congressman that was being interviewed, and I thought to myself, who is this man? <laughs> and we need to keep an eye on him and pay attention because he's one of the most honest fellows that I've heard lately. <laughs> he was being interviewed, and, and the reporter was saying, what is Congress going to do about this? And his answer was, I don't know. I thought, <laughs> <laughs> finally, an honest answer. And he followed that up by saying, he said, we are so divided that we can't seem to pass anything. Is that tragic? <laughs> Is that a little scary? Does that say something about the confusion that we're experiencing within our society? I think so. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, why all the turmoil? Well, once again, let's see if we can connect the dots. I think one of the biggest contributing factors to all the turmoil that we're seeing and experiencing is that we have forgotten who we are. So who are we? In Genesis 1 and verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created. That's an important dot. That is the first dot. In the beginning, Elohim. Immediately, it speaks of a triune deity. The Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God created. First dot is God. If you don't get that right, that's going to affect the rest of the picture. Following that, it says, in the beginning, God created. That lets us know how we got here. We are not evolved from some primordial soup. We are not here by accident. We are here because God determined and then he acted. Genesis 1 and verse 1. That's where it begins. That's the first dot. In the beginning, God created. Second block this week, a young lady walks in. Very nice young person. She says, Mr. Osborne, I've got some pictures on my phone. Do you want to see what we're doing in biology? 
immediately my mind flashed back to when I was in biology, biology in high school and we were cutting up frogs and then taking parts and putting them in girls' purses. <laughs> I said, oh, well, I guess so. <laughs> so she shows me this picture on her phone and, and it looks like a Petri dish. And there's this gunk inside of it. And she looks at me and she says, we're creating life. I looked at her and I said, you know, that's only been done once before. <laughs> <coughs> she looked at me a little confused and went over and had a seat. <laughs> First dot is, God created life. And if you don't get that, yeah, there's going to be some confusion that follows. Second dot, Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us, there's that plurality again, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let us make man, male and female, in our image. We're not some evolutionary, random chance happening. We were created by God in his image to have dominion over the earth. The physical is not to have dominion over us. We are to have dominion over it. Created in his image. Keep that in mind, male, female. Second Corinthians, or I mean Genesis, the second chapter, and verses 15 through 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God created in his image, man and woman, and then he gave commands. Now I'm not going to fully explain Genesis 1 and, 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 and Genesis 2, but I am going to make this point. Elohim, mighty creator. Jehovah God, second chapter. Took man, placed him in the garden, gave a command. It is a moral creator who made man and woman is in his image with moral understanding. And so therefore he gave command. And they can understand what is right and what is wrong. And the creator is guiding. And he tells them 
do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil for in the day that you do you will die man and woman created in his image male and female have an understanding they have the capacity to know what is right and what is wrong and he told them tend the garden that's what you do don't eat of the tree that's what you don't do but he also told them in Genesis 1 that they were to be fruitful and to multiply immediately following the statement that they have been created in his image he blessed them and told them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth implication fill the earth with my image man knows how he got here man knows what he's doing here and he is to be a reflection of his creator and he is to spread his glory that's what he's saying reflect my image and spread my glory that's how we got here that's what we're supposed to be doing while we're here Almighty Creator, benevolent God, providing for every necessity and companionship for man and directing him in this life. Woman as his companion. Together, fulfilling the purpose for mankind. Now I'm going to say this as we pass along. Because I know in society today, this is a big hang-up right here. <laughs> oh. So God made woman as a helper for man. <laughs> Isn't that special? That right there is caused to just throw the Bible away and show that it's irrelevant and out of touch. So I'm not going to listen any further. Well, you need to listen a little further. <laughs> Once again... I've given you the cliff notes. <laughs> Woman is a helper. Stop and think about that. John, the 14th chapter. Jesus is getting ready to go away. And he's letting them know that they are not going to be abandoned. But when he goes, he's going to send the helper. Let me ask this question. Is the Holy Spirit in any way, shape, manner, form, any less deity than the Son or the Father? No. But Jesus says, I'm sending the helper. You know what that means? Different role. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all deity with different roles. Equal different roles. Genesis 1. <laughs> Man and woman created in the image of God. Equal different roles. 
excited to have trouble understanding that. Okay. In Genesis 2, verse 21 through 25. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh watch verse 25 and they were both naked the man and his wife and were not ashamed sometimes we read verse 25 and then we want to blush <laughs> they're naked <laughs> Genesis chapter 2 and verses 21 through 25 is really just a summary statement of everything that has just taken place in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2. What that's saying is culmination, everything's just the way it's supposed to be. God created it, and he created man and woman, and they are in the garden, and they are in fellowship with God, and they are in fellowship with one another, and they are naked, and they are unashamed. Everything is just the way God made it. Could man have enjoyed it there? <laughs> yeah. When it says that they were naked and were not ashamed, naked means so much more than just simply not having clothes on. It means there was nothing to cover up. It was good. It was the way God planned it. Genesis 1 and 2, connect the dots. Genesis 2, 21 through 25, see the picture. It's really the summary statement. But I'm going to give you a summary statement, okay? <laughs> you know how men are, they can't ever leave anything alone. <laughs> but something like this. Man and woman were uniquely and intentionally created by God from love and for love of him, of self, of community, with the purpose to reflect his image and glorify him. Got that? Maybe another way we could say it is like this. Matthew 22, verse 38 through 40. You shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
For on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's the way God made it. That's the way he wants us to see it. But where did it go wrong? <laughs> well, let's connect the dots again. We're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, but I'll just kind of read these in sections because of our time and we want to keep moving along. Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 first. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it nor touch it, for in the day that you do, you shall die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. First dot. Temptation. Satan comes and he says, is there any tree that you may not eat of? <laughs> we don't want to talk about all the ones you can. <laughs> I just want to draw your attention to that one that you can't. <laughs> and so Eve reiterates what they know. Eve reiterates what they know. <laughs> don't eat of that tree. Don't touch it. Stay away from it. But Satan says, you won't die. So you got temptation. You got understanding of the law. And then you got a lie. You got deception. You will not die. But God knows if you eat of it, your eyes will be open. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6 and 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. If you eat, your eyes are going to be open. Eve wanted her eyes opened. Let me say this before we go any further. What that's similar to it's like a guy that can't hear. It's like a person that's deaf. And they say, oh, I really want to hear. And then they're given their hearing, and they hear this eternal scream. And then they say, I wish I, I, wish I couldn't hear. That's like Eve. Oh, you want your eyes opened so that you can know good and evil? Open your eyes. Take of that tree. 
but I promise you this, you're not going to like what you see. Verse 7 says, So their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. What they discovered? Now they become aware of sin. Two points, two dots, so that we can see this picture. In chapter 2 and verse 25, they were naked, but they weren't ashamed. In chapter 3 and verse 7, they're naked, and now they're ashamed. Why? What changed? I'll tell you what changed. Prior to this, they had not violated God's law. But now, they have. And because they violated God's law, now they take fig leaves and sew them together to try and cover their bodies. You know what they're trying to cover? is their shame. But it won't work. You see what's going on here? Now Adam's looking at Eve and Eve is looking at him and they're saying to each other, I see you differently now. I see myself differently now. They were naked before. You know what they are now? They're exposed. And you can't cover your conscience with fig leaves. Man can't cover his own sin. Only God can do that. What they see now is what it's like when you violate God's law. Because man was made in his image. He's a moral God and we are moral creatures and we have an, a capacity to understand right and wrong and when we violate it and when we do, it touches our conscience. Because that's the way God made us. Do you remember when we studied the book of Romans? <laughs> I hope so. Take a look at Romans chapter 7 because Paul is saying the same thing there. Romans chapter 7 beginning at verse 9. Paul says, I was alive once without the law. Did the, did the law not exist? <laughs> no, the law existed. But Paul says, I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, when I became aware of it and how it applies to me, then sin revived and I died. Sin is separation. And the commandment which was to bring life I found to bring death. 
For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy and good, and the commandment is holy and just and good. What's Paul saying? I become aware of how God's law affects me and what happens when I violate it. It touches my conscience. I become aware that I've sinned. And then it kills me. It separates me from God. Did they die physically? No, they died spiritually. Violation brought death and separation. Paul goes on in that same chapter to say, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin and death? Chapter 8 of Romans is what follows. <laughs> That's the good news of what we have in the gospel and through Jesus Christ. But it's to be understood that when man sinned, that changed the picture from the way it was supposed to be to the way that it now was, now that man had sinned. And man became aware. Adam and Eve, in essence, were saying, we did something wrong? We're going to try and cover it up. But that won't work. So what happens in Genesis chapter 3 following that in verses 8 through 15? I won't take the time to read this. I'm going to keep moving. They try to hide from God. Remember that? God comes into the garden. And then God says, Adam, where are you? And then what's Adam say? I was naked and I was afraid. And what does God say? Who told you you were naked? Then here's the question. This is the telling point. Have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat of? Connect the dots, Adam. Tragedy has struck. Why are you now afraid? And why are you confused? You know why? Because you've left your God and you've left his commandments. And that's what happens when man leaves God and leaves his commandments. It leads to tragedy and fear and confusion and death. Satan's been tempting man from the beginning. And unfortunately, from the beginning, all of us, just like Adam and Eve, have one time or another given in to that temptation, to that deception, to that sin. Man forgot his original purpose. What was our original purpose? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. He created them male and female in his image. And he blessed them and told them to be multiply and to fill the earth. Reflect his image and spread his glory. That's who made us. That's how we got here. And that's the purpose that we have. 
You know what it's like? It's kind of like this. It's like here's God, and here's a mirror. And if you take a mirror and you hold it up to the light at a 45-degree angle, then what it does is it takes that light and it reflects it and spreads it out. And what God was saying is, I want you to take that light, my image. I want it to shine on you and through you to the rest of the world. But you know what man has done? He's taken the mirror. And you know on the back side of a mirror how it's all blacked out? <laughs> We've taken that part and pointed that towards God. See, we don't really want to see what's up there. And so what we do is we just look at each other. And when that happens, there's all kinds of chaos that's going to take place. It's like this. Man and woman were uniquely intentionally created for, for, by God for, from love and for love, for God, community, self, and with the purpose of worshiping and reflecting God's image and spreading his glory. Here's the new version. We accidentally evolved. There's no creator. And we've evolved as people. No man, no woman anymore. There's no roles. We're just people. And not from love, because we just evolved. And not for love, but just sex. That's how we reproduce. And our goal is popularity and success. And that's what will reflect our own image. And I can worship myself and glorify myself. Does that sound anything like today's society? But what we've got to understand is, if our basic concept has changed, <coughs> then that changes everything. That's the way it changes the way we see ourselves. It changes the way we see God. It changes the way we see one another. And it changes the way we see the world. And that's why the world's so messed up. We don't know who we are, how we got here, or what our real purpose is. Society has got an ongoing narrative. And it's something like, we don't want God because we don't really want the morals that go along with that, the accountability. We don't want gender, but we'll keep sex. I'm going to say one more thing about it. Casual sex is nudity without nakedness. There's a difference. See, in Genesis, Adam and Eve were naked. And they were freely and completely giving themselves to one another 
and not holding anything back. Nothing to hide. In a covenant relationship. That's the way it was supposed to be. That's why Genesis one or Genesis 2 and verse 25 follows Genesis 2 and verse 24. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the, one, and the two shall become one. <coughs> verse 25, and they were naked and not ashamed because they were freely, completely in a covenant relationship giving themselves to one another with nothing to hide and holding nothing back. The two becoming one. But in casual sex, there's no clothes. But people are holding things back and hiding things and lying to one another and using one another. And there's no fulfillment. And what society's telling us is this is the way you can be filled, oftentimes, most times, ends up leaving people feeling used and empty. <laughs> kind of looks similar, but it's totally different. we become confused over that. We don't want purpose anymore. We want success. We don't want worship and serve God. We want to worship and serve self. And when you start to connect the dots from all that, what you see is a broken society. And that's where we are, folks. So you've heard the bad news. <laughs> we'll finish up with the good news. I'll reference these passages and because uh, of our time I'm going to move. Romans chapter 1, about verses 20 through 22, is where Paul says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Isn't that kind of the way it is today? We think we're smarter than God. We don't need God. It's okay, God. We can handle this ourselves. Turn that mirror back over. Let the dark side be up there. No, we need to turn it back up. Let me say it this way. First of all, we're starving. We're starving for God, but we want our independence. And we want to throw off God. See, there's a word that is used in the scriptures that is considered a dirty word in society today. It's called submission. And in Ephesians 5, where it says, wives, submit to your husbands, like, ooh, there he goes again. <laughs> First he was a helper, now he's back to But they don't understand. What does God say before that? What's God's word say before that? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her you see it becomes a whole lot easier to submit when you come to understand that the one you're supposed to submit to loves you more than you even love yourself that's why John 3 and verse 16 is so important for God so loved the world if they just come to understand what that really means and then submit. That's why Jeremiah 10 and verse 23 is so important. Oh Lord, we know the way of man is not in himself. It's not a man that walks to direct his own footsteps. We need help. 
starving for God, <laughs> we cling to independence. Secondly, starving for love, we've settled for sex. 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, Paul, verse 18, Paul says, flee sexual immorality. Once again, Genesis chapter 2, nakedness means so much more than our just general understanding of it. Let me point this out. <laughs> I just got to say this. Genesis chapter 1, you do word studies. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1 and the word naked that is used there, it's the only place in the Bible it's used. Those other words in Genesis 2 that also been rendered nakedness, different word. <laughs> There's a different concept because you look at the context and it helps you to understand what's being said. God has placed sexual fulfillment in marriage. So starving for love, society thinks you can settle for sex. Starving for community, we want to express our individuality. Have you ever seen a child that is totally spoiled? <laughs> and oftentimes you will say something like, well, he or she, they think it's all about them. <laughs> Don't we say that? <laughs> and then we say, well, the reason why they can't get along with others is because they think the universe revolves around them. <laughs> they can see their own needs, but they can't see anybody else's needs. So starving for community, we want other people. We are social beings, but we fail to understand how to get along. And yet God has told us. So starving for community, and we still want to express our individuality. We're starving for purpose, and we've settled for chasing success. We need purpose. What am I doing here? Two quick examples. Super Bowl was just over. Tom Brady played. Didn't win this time. <laughs> but he's won plenty of other times, hasn't he? I want you to stop and think about this for a moment. Tom Brady, quarterback for New England Patriots. Great team. Great organization. Great quarterback. He's been NFL MVP I don't know how many times. He's been Super Bowl champ, what is it now, Brian, five times? <laughs> Something like that, four or five times. That's why I said it's five, right? Isn't it five? I think it is five. Back when he won his third one, he was interviewed. Now here's a guy, extremely talented athlete, multi-millionaire, supermodel wife, two beautiful kids, numerous homes, exotic cars, takes vacations wherever, and Super Bowl champ three times, and he's being interviewed. And the reporter says to him, what's it like? You've done it all. You've got it all. Here's his answer. He actually invoked the Lord's name <laughs> and says, there's got to be something more. It just seems like there ought to be something more. He was right. <laughs> Robin Williams. 
stand-up comedian. Transitions to TV. Successful sitcom. Remember Mark and Mindy? <laughs> Some of you are too young to remember. Transitions to the movies. Remember the voice of Aladdin? Uh, of Aladdin? <laughs> Transitions from comedian, TV, movies, to serious actor. Wins an Oscar. Successful? Yeah. Took his own life. Tragedy? How come success doesn't satisfy us? Solomon told us long ago, didn't he? He had it all. And he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is, our translations say, the whole duty. The language there says, for this is the whole of man. It's God. It's who we are. It's the way he designed us. That's where we find our purpose. It does not matter whether you're MVP of the Super Bowl or whether you're an Oscar-winning movie actor or whether you push a broom or whether you're a police officer or whatever it is that you do. People can be happy. People can find joy when they understand their purpose. Isn't that amazing? You know what? Christianity is a paradox, and that's the part that man fails to grasp. You have to die in order to live. You have to become a slave in order to be free. You have to give in order to receive. You have to understand your purpose. Success is not the same as purpose. Reflect his image and spread his glory. We're starving for worship and we settle for self-obsession. Archaeologists tell us that in every generation and every civilization that has ever been discovered that man is undeniably, incurably a creature of worship. The only question is this. It's not a matter of whether or not we're going to worship. <laughs> the question is, what are you going to worship? Is it going to be false gods? Is it going to be yourself? Is it going to be money? Is it going to be fame? Is it going to be fortune? Is it going to be sex? Is it going to be pleasure? What is it going to be? It's not a matter of whether or not we're going to worship. It's just a matter of what we worship. Isn't that essentially what Paul said in Acts the 17th chapter as he was passing through the city of Athens and he stood on Mars Hill? And he says, as I was passing through, I have noticed the objects of your worship. And then down in verse 31 he says, But God commands all men everywhere to repent. It's time to turn back to the true God. Here's the conclusion. 
We're starving for God. We're starving for love. We're starving for community. We're starving for worship. And we're starving for purpose. It's a tragedy when lives are taken. It's a tragedy in the lives that remain. It's a tragedy when you see our society so desperately looking for answers. And God is right there. And he's been there. And he remains there. He's just waiting on us. There's tragedy, there's fear, and there's confusion. And the reason is because we've fallen so far from knowing who we are and what our purpose is. Man and woman were created in the image of God to reflect his image and to spread his glory. Tell the world. <laughs> he has the answers, and here it is. <laughs> we need to take that mirror and put it back at a 45-degree angle again and let God's image reflect on us and through us and to others and to spread his glory. In Genesis chapter 3, man sinned when he ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he was separated from God. And he was separated from one another. And he was separated from the tree of life. In Revelation 22, God says, Those who wash their robes are those who keep his commandments. He gives them the right to eat of the tree of life. What he's saying is, the opportunity is now to repent and to return to your original purpose. Everything that happens between Genesis 2 and Revelation 22 and the choices that we make, that's just life between the trees, isn't it? But the choice we make is going to determine whether or not we ever eat of that tree of life. Last illustration, we're done. Young man came to me this week and he said, Mr. Osborne, he said, I've got to write a report on what my idea is about the perfect government. <laughs> this young man's name is Sam, intelligent young man. We oftentimes talk about religion. Now, I would say his theology and my theology are a little bit different. We agree on God and <laughs> Jesus Christ and then application of that varies but we have at least those dots in common and I said Sam <laughs> you already know the perfect form of government it's not democracy <laughs> it's a monarchy <laughs> and he looked at me and kind of smiled and he goes yeah <laughs> I guess so I said Sam let me remind you of what General Omar Bradley said he said ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. We know more about war than we know about peace. We know more about killing than we know about living. Mankind has unlocked the mysteries of the atom. And rejected the Sermon on the Mount. Isn't that true? Imago Day. I'd like to take those words and put them on a banner 
20 feet tall. And I'd like to stab, stab one right in front of that Hollywood sign in California there. Instead of it saying Hollywood, say Imago Day. And I'd like to take one and hang it from Mount Rushmore. Imago Day. I'd like to take one and hang it in Times Square. Imago Day. Take one. Plant it in front of Congress. Imago Day. Image of God. I don't think I'll ever get to do that. <laughs> but you know what we can do? We can take Imago Day and put it over our door. And every morning as we head out, look up. Remember our Creator and remember our purpose. Imago Day. Image of God. That's life between the trees. <laughs> I know I've gone a little long. We want to extend the invitation now. If you're here this morning and ever rendered obedience under the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you desire to have a right to eat of that tree of life, says, blessed are those who wash their robes or keep his commandments. We'd like to help you to do that if we can. If you're a child of God and you've not been living as you should and you need to make your life right with him, we want to help you also. The invitation's yours while together we stand and while we sing. <coughs>